today, this week, I sensed as we were praying before, a number of us prayed before the meeting, and we were praying, and one of the things I felt God's wanting to speak into in many, and it may be many people here, and it will manifest in all sorts of different ways, is the power of fear. It's really interesting that in a number of the testimonies that were shared, there were elements of fear in there. Fear of sickness, fear of infirmity, fear of loss, fear of doing the wrong thing. It may be kind of physical fears that we experience with darkness or loneliness or isolation or, or spiritual fears that can kind of creep up on us. Fear is such an elusive thing, it's an intangible thing, and yet it can haunt many of us in all sorts of different ways. And as Christians, it can still have a real stronghold in our lives. So we were praying, uh, someone was mentioning about David. You know when he fought against Goliath? That really well-known story. See, when the Israelites saw Goliath, they all trembled, they were all terrified of him. Now I know he was a big bloke and had impressive kind of arm and all the rest of it, but he was just one bloke. (laughs) But everyone was kind of, it created this sort of, fear can spread. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd. I've been in a crowd once when it kind of, the atmosphere changed in a moment. And this happened in Paris recently, very much so. And fear can get hold of a crowd and suddenly a whole atmosphere in a place can shift and it spreads sort of almost supernaturally. Well, I would say supernaturally actually. It spreads through a crowd and suddenly you can feel anxiety and fear and everyone starts to panic. Well, I think that's what it was like for the Israelite army. Standing, Goliath comes out the front and he was a figurehead of the enemy of the kind of intangible enemy and the physical enemy there, but fear went through them and it paralysed them. But what about David? It's the same bloke looking at his armour and his big sword and the helmet and all the rest of it and him kind of shouting across the valley. But for David it was like there wasn't, it's like there wasn't a perch where fear could land. And fear is almost, it's like a, it's like a bird sometimes that just lands on you and suddenly you feel that shiver go down your spine or in the back of your neck. And it kind of lands on you, suddenly you become paralysed by indecision. But it was almost like David didn't have anywhere for this bird to land. Not because he was really confident in his own ability, although clearly he was kind of a pretty cool shepherd and pretty good with the thing. But actually it wasn't, I'm going to strike you down because I have really practiced a lot with my sling and I'm pretty good. Actually what he says is, you know, you come against me with your sword and your spear and your javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. And I know my God is a lot bigger than you. I remember when I was really little, there was a boy down my street who was really mean, and he used to really scare me. And he always had horrible snot coming down both nose, kind of added to the kind of aura that he projected, and his snot that he projected. And he used to really scare me. But I discovered one day that I had one thing that he didn't have. I had a big brother who was 11 years older than me and had a car. And one day when I was playing on my front lawn, playing with kind of, you know, my Barbie dolls or whatever it was, because he used to think I was a real wuss, he came out and was like, what are you doing? And I said, don't come into my garden because my brother's in there and he drives a car and he's 11 years older than me. And this boy ran down the road. (laughs) It was great. And I thought, oh, I'll keep that one. So, none of you, I've got a big brother who's 11 years older than me. And actually for David, it was a bit like that with Goliath. Yes, you're big and you're strong and all the rest of it, but I've got back here a big God who's much bigger than you. 
What's really interesting about the David scenario is, you know, he goes in down to the river beforehand, and what does he do? Who can tell me what he does before he has the battle? He picks up five stones. Now, have you ever wondered why he picked up five stones? Theologians will argue about this until we get to heaven and we meet David and we ask him. But one thing that I discovered a while ago that I really, really, really like is that I don't think David thought, I might miss with the first four, so let's have a backup plan. There are, in kind of, depending on which text you read, there are kind of allusions to the fact that Goliath possibly had four brothers. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? So what David's really saying is, do you know what, I'm going to take you down, and yeah, bring your brothers on if you want as well. Because actually the battle belongs to the Lord, and I'm not scared of you, and I'm not scared of your brothers. I'll fight you all with my little pebbles, because I have a God who's with me who's stronger. God's love can cast out fear to the point that there's no purchase on us, no place where fear can land. And some of us are often robbed by fear. Fear of the future. Fear of what might happen. Fear of God sometimes. Fear of the unknown. Fear of the dark. We're in Advent at the moment, in this season of preparation. And often... If you're anything like me or my children, we often want to rush to the main event on the 25th because that's when it all kicks off. You know, that's when the parties happen and then we kind of crack open the turkey. Don't really crack open the turkey, do you? But, you know, well, maybe the the wishbone. Sorry, vegetarians. Uh, But, you know, the party begins and, and that's great. But actually, Advent in the church has always been about a season of preparation and waiting and building up to that day. It's supposed to be a time of reflection. And slightly inward thinking and pausing and trying to encounter the king and hearing testimonies reminds us of God's goodness again. And we need to go back and remind ourselves what God has done in our life. So great to hear Ella's testimony, for her to remember back where she was, you know, a year ago, when she didn't really know where God was, and suddenly she was brought into this environment where she encountered God and God revealed herself, himself to her. We need to take time and take stock in this season of Advent. We need to remember the journey to the crib the uncertainty and the bewildering emotions for Mary. What must have that been like for her? And what about Joseph? What he had to go through, his questions, his uncertainty, perhaps his fears. So what about for us in Advent? How are we going to prepare ourselves? I wonder if you heard me read that passage um, from um, Luke's Gospel. Talking of John the Baptist. John the Baptist quotes these words from Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley filled in. Every mountain made low. The crooked road shall become straight and the rough way smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. Prepare the way for the Lord. One of the, we're going to sing over the next few weeks lots of carols. O little town of Bethlehem. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. Hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. We call him John the Baptist, but really we should call him John the Witness because he was pointing to the one who was coming. He was pointing at Jesus saying, He's the light who's coming into the world. Don't get stuck with me. Look at Jesus. As John prayed, you know, may I decrease that you might increase. John the Baptist was a wonderful witness who testified to the light. 
I was saying at St. Tom's this morning, darkness is a powerful thing, isn't it? Darkness can be really, really fearful. Many of you will have heard me talk about the time I went potholing um, on the Mendips with a friend who thought that it would be fun to go potholing. Basically, it's just really dark, and you're in a hole. That's potholing, more or less. If you haven't done it, you can kind of imagine what it'd be like. And it, pitch black. <laughs> you have the helmets on, the lights on, and you're banging your head the whole time. We went into this inner chamber, and I kept saying to him, I kept saying, Sean, I can hear, you, can you hear voices? And he kept saying, no, no, there won't be anyone else down here in the middle of the night. No, it's just us. It we went into this dark chamber he said this is the right in the centre this great chamber he said in a moment we're going to turn off our lights and you can see how dark it is <laughs> so we turned off our lights now normally we talk about pitch black but actually the truth is our, our eyes actually adjust to the darkness and if there's a tiny bit of light your eyes will eventually adjust but in a potholing scenario there is no light once you turn the lights off there's, your eyes will never adjust and you sit there you know in the darkness you can't, you can't see my hand I know it sounds exciting, doesn't it? But actually, you, you don't often experience darkness like that. Pitch black. And we're sitting in pitch black darkness. And I said to him, Sean, I can hear voices. And they're telling me to kill you. <laughs> You've never seen someone put their light back on so fast in your life. I thought, I'm going to get you back for making me come down this stupid dark hole in the blooming middle of nowhere. Actually, what was bizarre, we turned the corner and actually then about nine people came out of this hole. And there were people down there, I don't know if they were on a bus trip somewhere, but they just came out of this hole and popped off and went, hello, and went off down another tunnel. It's very exciting. Potholers. Darkness, though, is a very, 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 very powerful thing. And yet, of course, the reality is darkness isn't actually anything, is it? It's just the absence of light. But it can make us feel very subdued. And the truth is there are some places that feel spiritually or physically dark. Sometimes around in your own life maybe you've experienced a darkness that can envelop a place, a community, or maybe even a person. It can, it can at times really, really press in. But the one thing that conquers darkness is light. John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So here's this voice, John saying, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, quoting Isaiah. And actually, we live in wilderness days, and for the people of God, they knew what wilderness was. You know, they'd experienced wilderness, and the slavery in Egypt, and then 40 years in the wilderness. And then, you know, they'd know what it was to be exiles under Babylonian captivity. They'd been in a wilderness, and they were crying out for a Messiah. They were crying out for the light to come, for the promise of the one who would eventually come, this incredible person who would come. And the picture we're given in, in, in Isaiah, in, in the Old Testament days, when I've said before, when a VIP came to your community, you would send a team out to welcome them. And not just put up bunting and get your flags going, but actually you would literally prepare the road. So where there were potholes, you would fill in the potholes. And where there were sticks and stones in the way, you'd dust them off. And you would try and make the path really smooth so that when your VIP came into your community, he had an easy journey. He or she could come without feeling kind of bumped and jostled. Isaiah is saying, the Messiah who's going to come is the greatest VIP you'll ever know. So much so that it's not just a few potholes that are going to be filled in and a few kind of sticks taken out of the way. Whole valleys are going to be raised up. Whole mountains are going to be leveled. There's going to be a straight way for those who are willing so that God's salvation can come to the whole of humanity. And we are recipients of that. 
So what about us in this Advent season? Because the truth is sometimes as Christians we allow sticks and stones to get back in the way. We allow potholes to kind of the road to get a bit worn and weathered. And actually Christ is kind of bumped along and bumped slightly out the way and jostled somewhat. Jesus' light wants to shine into us, whether it's for the first time or whether it's him again revealing his love to us. Hear these words of a little town of Bethlehem, another verse. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. I want to pray for us, and we're going to share some communion, and we're going to worship. That actually this Advent season, we can just pause and slow down, and ask God and say, Lord, are there things that are kind of in between you and me in the way of my heart sticks and stones or fears or anxieties or things that kind of hold you back make it hard for you to enter into my heart in this season again Lord I want to receive you Lord I want your light to shine into the dark places God doesn't force his way in but he offers us a chance to open up to him Maybe you really struggle with fears. Maybe there are fears that you recognize in your own life that you just haven't really yielded to God. Fears about the future. Fears about sickness. Fears about death. Or maybe there is a fear of the dark that just overwhelms you and paralyzes you. Why don't we allow Christ's light to shine into that? I was reflecting that often we struggle to uh, see God at work. And maybe we're looking for him, but we really struggle to see God. That's why sharing testimonies can be really, really helpful. I was out sitting outside in the garden the other night on a really dark night. And I suddenly remembered something about looking at stars. You know how you see stars the most easily? You see them in the corner of your eyes, actually because that's where your eyes are most sensitive to light in the corners. And so sometimes you'll see a star out here, and when you look at it, it kind of almost goes. It's hard to focus on it. And actually, the best way to look at kind of stars that aren't very bright is just in the corner of your eye. And sometimes I think it's almost a bit like God's a bit like that. that sometimes he's kind of in the corner, he's in the peripheral of our vision. And sometimes we look for him and then we can't see him. But God's light wants to shine on us. And he is there, active in our lives, wanting to bring healing and life and encouragement. As we share communion, I'm going to invite the band to come up. I want to pray for us that we can experience afresh in this season of Advent the wonder of his coming. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads.